0: Be Christ's church, impact the valley, reach the world, all for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Good morning church. My name is Ethan. I'm the pastor for students and families here. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be able to to preach this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We will be not in the book of Psalms, but in the book of John. Be in John chapter 10 and we'll look at verse 10 in particular. It's a familiar verse. Some of you might know it by heart, but it is an utterly profound verse. So John chapter 10, verse 10 is where we will spend our time this morning. So let me pray, and we will dive in. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to to be here. Lord, the freedom we have as uh, Americans to live in this country where we don't have to fear We can gather, we can sing your praise, we can read your word, we can have your word readily available. And Lord, we pray for those who don't have that freedom, that are gathering in secret, worshiping the same God, proclaiming the same risen Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for for them. And far more, we praise you and we thank you for the freedom as we just sang for the freedom we have in Christ. And I pray as we spend the next few moments looking at your word that you would speak for the glory of Christ, for our good, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the, the deepest and most profound questions that every single person, every single one of you seeks to answer every single day of your life is the question, what is the good life? Every action that we take has that, answering that question as its end. What will lead to the greatest amount of happiness, the greatest amount of fulfillment, from where can we derive meaning and, and purpose, and we spend our lives in the pursuit of of this end. We may never articulate the question out loud, but we're constantly in pursuit of the good life. And the promise of the good life is the basis for, for so much, including, think of every, every marketing campaign, every commercial you watch. Is, is that not the, their device to, to get you to buy their product? The good life involves thrill. You want to be thrilled all the time, and so to have that level of thrill, you need to drive a Mazda. Life is built so that you, you do what you want to do. You need to have it your way, and you can have that at Burger King with a Whopper. Or, or maybe you don't want to have it your way, you just want something different. So instead of Burger King, you go to Dairy Queen, right? Or maybe you just you got to A task in front of you, you need some courage, you need some boldness to get it done, so you put on your hoodie, your t-shirt, your sweatpants, your shoes that have a nice little check on it and just remember to just do it. In every single one of these, and certainly more could be added, what they are selling is not just a product, it's a story. It's the good life. And if you want that good life, you buy their product think of every political campaign that you have suffered through in every political campaign is the promise of the good life is it not the good life for you as an individual the good life for society overall whether you're a democrat whether you're a republican it doesn't matter undergirding both of their platforms and anybody in between is this promise of the good life the difference is the content the desire and the drive for the good life is still present. We spend our lives in the pursuit of this goal, and it looks different in each life, but the goal is still the same. One might work 80-plus-hour weeks. Another works the minimum amount because the picture of the good life might be high achievement and material prosperity, and then the other might be relaxation and the ability to do anything you want with your time. One gets married because marriage in marriage there's fulfillment. It's the good life. One refrains from marriage because marriage is too constricting. So we don't want to be a part of that. One eats only healthy food, exercises all the time. One eats whatever in the world they want because the picture of, for this person, it's, it's being healthy. The other person is just enjoying food. One comes to church, another abandons any faith at all. But undergirding everything is this desire for the good life. Where will I find happiness? Where will I find purpose? And yet, in the midst of all these different pursuits, if we're honest, there can still be this craving that remains. And and some of you... Right here, right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have this deep craving for something more, and you, you just can't quite figure out what it is. You thought it was going to be the new job that would, that would get you over the edge and you'd be satisfied. You thought it would be the new car, but the job kind of settled in like all the others. The, the newness of the vehicle was worn off. You tried one thing and then another. It was a new relationship, a new diet, a new Netflix show, a new hobby. All the while, it's just trying to to fill this gnawing sensation that you have for something more. In fact, it might be why you're here this morning. You came to church because maybe that'll make you feel better. It seems to work for other people. Why not you? Some of you are here because you think you're supposed to be here. But if you're honest, you become disillusioned with this, this whole Christianity thing. You've read your Bible, you've served in ministry, you've prayed, but you still feel this just lack of contentment. You're left wondering: Is there anything special to, to Christianity? Is this just something to do? Is it even worth pursuing? Some of you are, are here. You're Christians. You've been Christians for a long time. You love the Lord. We're very thankful that you're here. Some of you are just just struggling. And you need to be reminded of life in Christ. And a lot of you are just somewhere in between. And what we're going to see from this text this morning is that the very craving you have for the good life, a natural craving, I, I believe a good craving, but it's answered only in Jesus. The good life is in Him. Any alternative, and there are a lot of different alternatives will leave you longing for something more but christ will not disappoint he's not going to leave you empty he is the one who will actually satisfy your soul he is the one who gives the good life this text this morning, I, I believe, is crucial for us to understand because I believe we're all in the same pursuit. So over the next two weeks, we're going to look at this text. This morning, as it relates to, to this world, the good life here and now, and next week we'll, we'll dive into the question of the good life in eternity that we have to look forward to. So hopefully by now you're in John chapter 10, and I'm going to read verse 10. The thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, that's Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So John chapter 10 naturally comes on the heels of John chapter 9. I don't think that surprises anybody, right? We're at chapter 9, now we're in chapter Ten And in John chapter 9, we have this amazing story of Jesus healing this man who was born blind. Do you guys remember this story? He was born blind. He's a beggar. Jesus comes up to him. He heals him. And then, very interestingly, Jesus kind of exits the scene for a minute. He exits the scene and we follow this man. He can see now, he's walking around, he's talking to people, but people are very confused, right? What in the world happened? Who is this guy? People kind of talking back and forth, kind of in front of the man, which kind of cracks me up. It's like, this can't be the guy, he can see now. No, he just looks like him. The guy's like, no, it's me. I, I can see now. And They're like, well, what in the world happened to you? And he's like, this, this man Jesus healed me. And they were like, well, let's talk to the religious leaders, right? So they gather up the Pharisees, and the Pharisees talk to them. What, the, what happened to you? How is it that you now see? Well, Jesus made me see. Are you sure you were blind? Yes, I was blind. What, what, what happened? I, I told you, Jesus made me see. And the Pharisees, confronted with Jesus, this man saying, hey, it was Jesus, they cast him out. You, you can follow this Jesus, we follow Moses. And they, they kick him out. And the story picks back up with Jesus as Jesus finds the man. And he says, I, I'm the one who healed you. I am the son of man. And this man becomes a parable As Jesus begins to teach, because the Pharisees looking on, this man was blind, but now he sees. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, You think you see, but you're blind. The Pharisees, they knew their Old Testament better than anyone else in Israel. And they could quote it, they thought they were living in it and yet they're the ones that failed to see Jesus when he was right in front of them they should have been the first to understand they should have been able to look at their old testament looked at Jesus and said yeah that's the guy we need to follow him they should have recognized him but they were blind it reminds me of a of a bit that uh, that Jimmy Fallon will sometimes do in his show. Jimmy Fallon, if you don't know, is the host of the Tonight Show. And periodically he'll do these bits. And one of the bits, I think it's it's interesting, I think it's funny. He and this kind of world-famous musical artist will go busking in a New York City subway. So if you're unfamiliar with the term busking, because I was, I had no idea what that word meant. To busk is to go into a public place and perform music for voluntary donations, okay, so if you've ever been to a big city, and you see people on street corners, they're playing their guitar, they have an open guitar case in front of them, people throw in a couple bucks if they enjoy the music, that's busking, so Jimmy Fallon, he's had people like Maroon 5, Miley Cyrus, kind of these people that would be easily recognizable to a lot of people in New York City, they go in disguise, and they would go into the subway and start performing, they just be hanging out down there, and it's New York City. If you've ever been to New York, people are very important, so they, they get off the subway, and they, some of them stop and listen to the music. Some of them walk right past because they've got places to go. They've got more important things to do, right? It's New York. And then, at the end of the bit, Jimmy Fallon will go back to the microphone, and he'll take off his beard, disguise, hat, announce himself, and announce the artist, And then all of a sudden, right, everybody wants to swarm. Everybody wants to see. The person that they didn't recognize that was singing the same songs five minutes ago, now all of a sudden they recognize, and so everybody takes out their smartphones. Hey, I was there, right, and videotaping. Because we can't do anything without videotaping anymore. The Pharisees should have been the ones to recognize Jesus. They should have been the ones that looked at him and really understood who he was. And yet, they were blind. And it it leads me to the question, why are they blind? What makes them blind such that they can know their Bible so well and yet miss the whole point? And, And here is one reason. And I think it's also the reason some of you in here right now are struggling to find contentment in Christ. Some of you are struggling to fully submit your life to Christ. I think it's the same reason as these Pharisees. And that reason is pride. These people were experts in keeping the law. In fact, isn't that what they told the man in John chapter 9? You follow Jesus, we're going to follow Moses. They're experts at keeping the law. And they refuse to humble themselves and realize they actually can't keep the law. They refused to see that they were not perfect. They would rather stand outside the kingdom and look in rather than be told, hey, you need a savior. You need a redeemer. They rejected the only door that would actually lead to life. And Jesus makes this clear as he continues from 9 into John chapter 10. So look with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Kind of setting up verse 10. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So, how are we saved? How do we enter the good life? It's through the door of Christ. He alone is the door. If you try any other way, it will not succeed. It won't. The Pharisees sought to enter the kingdom of God by their own effort, by their own law-keeping, and Jesus says, that doesn't work. They won't be let inside. And some of you looking at me right now, like this is what you're trying to do. You cannot take away your own sin. You need a Savior. And to be a part of the flock of God, to be a part of His body, to be a part of the church, to have eternal life, to live the good life, is to enter through faith in Christ. To try and enter by any other way is a fool's errand. I mean, look at verse 1. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, this one door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Anyone seeking to live the good life apart from Christ is described as a thief and a robber. Can we agree those aren't the best terms? Like, I don't want to be described as a thief and a robber. And whether this looks like law-keeping, maximum effort, I'll get there. Whether this looks like law-breaking, pleasure-seeking, I'm going to enjoy myself. The result is exclusion from the kingdom. And we must not be led astray by those who are advocating, hey, here's the good life apart from Christ. Because the true shepherd is different. He's not a thief. He's not a robber. He does not crawl in through a hole in the fence. He approaches the door, the text says. The doorkeeper recognizes him. He opens the door. The sheep hear his voice. They hear the voice of the shepherd, and he leads them out. The sheep follow him. He guards them. He leads them in safety. He provides for all of their needs. He goes before him. The sheep recognize him. There's no deception. There's no wrong motives. It's love and care for the sheep that drives the shepherd. And the sheep respond to his voice. When we come to faith in Christ, we're following the voice of our shepherd. And in following Christ, we're recognizing our absolute dependence on him. To to follow Christ is to recognize, I can't actually do this. I need you. Pride has no place in the Christian life. Absolutely none. So long as we hold on to this notion that we can just be good enough, and if we can't quite be good enough, Jesus will just push us over the edge. Jesus will just get us there will be left outside. It's those who recognize their shepherd and who humbly follow that enter the good life. We, we know his voice. We know the, the sweetness, the love in the voice of our masters, in our master. The Pharisees, because of their pride, were deaf to this voice but it's in a recognition that's why we follow. Think of of a a child lost in a store on Black Friday. You guys remember when Black Friday was actually a big deal? Now it's just like an online thing that you can do from your home. Uh, Imagine a mom and dad going with their, their little girl on Black Friday. They're going to this store. There's hundreds and hundreds of people there. And this girl's following her mommy and her daddy, and she she wants to go see this toy. She's in this store all the time. She's been there dozens of times. She knows exactly where this toy is. It's Black Friday. There's anticipation Christmas is coming. I just want to see this toy. Hopefully, I get it on Christmas. So much excitement, and so mommy and daddy are fine. I'll just slip away. I know exactly where I'm it is. I'm going to go to that aisle, and I'll, I'll look at it. And so she slips away. She's excited. She kind of bobs and weaves through all the people, through all the footsteps, and she, she gets to the aisle. She picks it up, and she looks at it. Oh, I'm so excited. I hope, I hope Mommy and Daddy get it for me for Christmas. And then after a few minutes, she puts it back, and now it's time to go, go back to Mommy and Daddy. But she, she looks around, and she forgets the fact that Mommy and Daddy are not close and she looks around she doesn't recognize anybody close to her and all the people that were, were there and she was bobbing and weaving in between now kind of push her to the side they don't mean to do so but she's a little girl and she, she starts to getting a little, little nervous right I, I don't know where they, they are She tries to to get around and that that nervous turns into to anxiety and a, a little bit of fear and then a lot of fear. And then as the the tears start welling up in her eyes over top of the crowd, over top of the conversations, over top of the footsteps, she hears a voice, and it's a voice she recognizes. It's a voice she knows. And it's a voice that means safety. It's a voice that means love. The voice of her mommy, the voice of her daddy, in that moment, she loves that voice. You see, for the Christian, we follow Christ because we recognize the voice of our Shepherd. That's why we follow Christ. We might have a lot of reasons to come to Christ. We might argue for the the historicity of the resurrection, that the resurrection really did happen. We might argue and be able to understand and believe that the New Testament that we have is Legitimate. It is real. We might have logical syllogisms as to why the existence of God is necessary, but at a base foundational level, the reason Christians follow Christ is because we recognize the voice of our shepherd. A stranger, verse 5, a stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And that, that led me to ask, because I'm the, I get to serve as the student pastor here, how do we best protect ourselves, your families, and again, in my mind, students, from wandering into the arms of a thousand different heresies, a thousand different ideologies, ranging from, you know, the, the sexual revolution of the LGBTQIA+, to, to liberal Christianity that disbelieves in the authority of the Bible, to agnosticism or to pluralism, you have your truth, I have my truth, or just, just to indifference. How do we protect them? We teach them through the Word of God. To recognize the voice of their shepherd. And not only do we teach them the Bible so that they recognize the voice of their shepherd. We live out in front of them a deep love for our shepherd. That's going to make the lasting difference. Not just living and not just teaching. Both of them. They need to know the word of God and they need to see in you a love for Jesus Christ I, I want them to develop what I've kind of called a, a sharp nose you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about so that when new TV show comes out new documentary, a conversation with a professor or a high school teacher or a friend they start talking <laughs> I can't quite figure out what's wrong All Right. I can't chapter and verse it, but something just smells off about this. Like, that's what we want them to develop. This, I don't, I don't recognize this voice, and so I'm not going to follow it. Because your kids will see what you value. They will. They aren't blind, and they certainly are not stupid. Coming to church once a month because sports calendars fill out the rest of the weekend tells them, hey, Jesus isn't that important. Working long hours, coming home so exhausted that, that nightly prayers with your kids, for your kids rarely happens, tells them, hey, money's more important. Leaving church Sunday after Sunday, criticizing everything about the church. I didn't like that song. I didn't like what he had to say. Tells your kids, it's okay to be critical of the church rather than to see the church as vital to their walk with Christ. Christ must be the one to lead us. And he will lead us. The text says he will lead us into pasture. You see that verse 9? We will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture is the good life for a sheep. (laughs) A sheep doesn't have a whole lot that he looks forward to. Pasture is one of those things. We must enter by Christ, who is the door, or we won't enter it at all. That's that's what it says, is it not? If anyone, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved. Right there, saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. You'll be saved and have the good life, and don't be fooled. Poli- uh, political leaders who tell you, "Hey, the good life's just one election away," they're thieves and robbers. The good life, the good life, is going to be be found when you just make this much money. You get that second house, you get that lake house, you get the cars, you get the the wardrobe. The good life is going to be found when you. Embrace sexual liberation, sexual fulfillment. In marriage, usually out of marriage, before marriage, that's where the good life is found. It's the talk of a thief and a robber. Abundant life is found only in Christ. And and for some of you, you lack contentment and joy as a Christian, because you're, you're trying to hold on and do it yourself. You refuse to be led. You want to do it all on your own. And either on your own or a thousand different alternatives. The end is death. Look at verse 10. It's where we started, right? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here's the alternatives. Life and death. Jesus and everything else. The thief has one desire, to steal, to kill, to destroy. That one, to destroy you. It's to rob you of joy in the here and now, see you persist in it, see it continue, and then plunge into hell. That is the end of every other alternative to Christ. Again, for some, it's the guise of sexual liberation. To others, it's overachievement. To others, it's a morally upright life that comes to church, but doesn't actually submit to Christ. The end is death. And, And say say in this life everything works out for you. You get everything you could possibly want. You get the promotion, you get the the paycheck, you get the several houses, you get the new cars, you get the respect that you want. How many years do you have to enjoy it before you stand before your maker and are judged? That's not the good life. Jesus tells us that he's come to give us life and life abundantly. I love that. Not just a little life. A little life from Christ would be fantastic. Can we agree? But life abundant. He is the one who gives the good life. And how does he do it? Look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. He's not just the door through which we enter. He's the good shepherd. And the good shepherd Lays down his life for the sheep. Christ laid down his life. At the cross, Christ took on the wrath we deserve. He, he pays the debt that we owe. And he dies. And on the third day, he rises from the dead to give us his righteousness, to forgive us of our sins, to bring us back to God, to bring us into the good life. Every obstacle to your enjoyment of the good life was taken away at the cross. He purchased for us the good life for now, in this moment, in this life, and for eternity. What then is the good life? I'm using that phrase, right? Over and over. The good life, the good life. What is life abundantly? Here it is. It is living wherever our good shepherd has us for the glory of Christ, knowing he is our greatest treasure. That's the good life. It's understanding that Jesus is our treasure and living like it. That's the good life. Christ is the treasure. Because that good life applies to any person, anywhere, at any point in history. So the good life doesn't look like middle class America. The good life looks like treasuring Christ whether you have everything or you have nothing. As Psalm 23, 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. You guys know the next phrase, don't you? I shall not want. Why will we not want? Why will we not lack anything? Because the Lord is our shepherd and all we could possibly want is found in the shepherd. And I'm convinced that we will see this valley transformed with the gospel of Christ when we as a church, you as an individual sitting there looking at me right now, really believe in the core of your being that abundant life is found in treasuring Christ and not in the pursuit of everything else the world is pursuing. We don't stand out for Christ when we look like everyone else. The good life is not in material prosperity or accolades or fame or even a healthy body or a healthy family. The good life is regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the sufferings or the trials. It's living out a belief that in the midst of every single one of those, Christ is better. It's seeing everything as being given by God to make us treasure Jesus more. that's going to stand out because we live in a culture that that no longer asks the questions that we are used to answering this culture my generation and younger are not asking the question does god exist was jesus really raised from the dead can you trust the new testament they aren't asking that question those types of questions they're asking is christianity moral Is it good? Is it worth pursuing? Because often, they look around and they see a bunch of people claiming to be Christians, yelling and screaming about the sins of other people, all the while living just as immorally, just as uh, partying, just as sleeping around, fixing the numbers at work, all the while going to church and acting like that is the difference maker. Is it any wonder why people are turned off from America's version of Christianity? It looks like everything else. Because if you're doing the same stuff I'm doing, then why would I care about what you have to say? When there's no real connection to Christ. But imagine with me, just for a minute, a a church full of people, who are committed to living in submission to Christ as he designed life to be lived, in joy and peace and in hope. That will stand out. That will stand out. Imagine a teacher, for instance. She's a, a Christian. She loves the Lord. Her colleagues know it. And she's kind to every single one of her students, even the ones that drive her up the wall. She loves them. She serves them. She works hard. She stays late when need be. Her colleagues mock her faith, and yet she doesn't retaliate. She doesn't get upset. She does her job well, and she loves them well. When one of those colleagues goes through a trial, do you think they'll listen when that teacher talks about Jesus? I bet they will. Imagine a a church full of families that imperfectly yet intentionally seek to love each other well. They read their Bibles together. They pray together. They invite people over for dinner. They're good neighbors in their neighborhood. They confess sin to one another. They repent. They value church as the one priority under which everything else can be canceled. (laughs) They aren't perfect, they don't pretend to be perfect, but they love Jesus. I'm convinced that the best defense we have currently for a picture of a biblical marriage and a biblical family for a watching world is families that are seeking to love one another well. In a world that's seeking to redefine marriage, I think before we can chapter and verse people about why they're wrong, I think we give them a picture of this is what it's supposed to look like. And I think our culture, probably take a look at that and say, you're exactly right, that's what I'm looking for. Imagine a student cafeteria who willingly engages in a conversation at lunch with someone who's who's a little weird, they're all by themselves, doesn't have many friends, and when she sits down, she starts to talk to him. Pretty clear why, pretty pretty clear why. He's impolite, he's rude, he's kind of short with people, but he needs a friend. Might not that person be far more apt to listen? when she talks about Jesus, when she has loved them well. Now, don't mishear me. We don't slack on the truthfulness of our faith. Christ is really raised from the dead. If he isn't, as Paul says, we have no hope. But might it be incredibly helpful in, in this culture to show, before anything else, that Christianity is actually desirable? That it, that it makes sense of the world we live in? that Christ is the most valuable and satisfying person in the universe, and then we get to let them, on, let them in on the best part. It's all true. We all have a deep longing to live the good life. We, we crave life abundantly. And again, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's you, You're looking for something more, but you're you're holding on to your pride and you're trying to have Christ too. And it's not gonna work. All of the, the philosophical questions that you have as to why Christianity can't be true are just a mask because you don't wanna lay down your pride and submit to Christ. I've tried Jesus, it doesn't work. No, you haven't actually followed Christ. You're at war with what you know to be true and it's time to lay down your arms and actually turn to Christ because what you seek is found in Christ and as Augustine says you will continue to be restless until you find rest in him and when you turn to Christ our good shepherd is ready to welcome you in when you come in by the door you're welcomed as a child of God a sheep of his flock, a member of his body, a citizen of his kingdom. Anything else will lead only to death. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Christ has come to give us life and life abundantly. This is the good life. It's not the promise of health or prosperity or that all your wildest dreams will come true. It's entering into life as it was meant to be lived. It's joining in with the author of the story in your story. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. You might have questions. That's fine. But you will not find the good life apart from treasuring Christ. Next week, we'll consider the eternity we get to look forward to but for the here and now. Christ came to give us life abundantly. And don't don't settle or don't pursue anything less than that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the truth of the gospel, that Christ is raised from the dead. And Lord, I thank you that he gives the good life. That the cross will stand, the empty tomb will remain empty regardless of the situation we find ourselves in. And I know there are people in here that have a bunch of questions that they can't quite answer. But Lord, they're missing you. Trying to do it on their own. It's not going to work. And they know it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would begin to work on their hearts and their minds. Lord, that a conversation with myself or another leader will take place soon. And Lord, for the the Christian in here that loves you, God, I pray you just reinforce all the more. We are living the good life when we treasure Christ. That's why you've come. The good life is not in having a lot, it's in having you, treasuring you. And Lord, for all of us as a world, in a world that is longing for something more, I pray we would give them a picture of what the good life really is and that it would prove to be desirable for them and then they would get to see that it's all true. We thank you for Christ. It's in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.